0: Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Adewale Ogun Barajo, Vice President for Workforce Development at Grid Alternatives, which is a nonprofit organization founded in 2001 and is now the nation's largest nonprofit solar installer. And they serve families throughout California, Colorado, the Mid Atlantic region, and tribal communities nationwide. And in addition to directly facilitating the installation of solar systems, over the years, Grid Alternatives has developed and invested in a number of workforce development programs related to the solar industry. So join Adewale and me as we discuss what Grid has learned over the years about what works and what doesn't in clean energy workforce development, what lessons might be transferable from the solar industry to other clean tech, and how to ensure that clean energy workforce development programs are reaching a broad cross-section of U.S. workers. Stay with us. Hi, Adewale. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me here today on Resources Radio.
1: Hello, Kristen. Thanks for having me and happy Women's History Month.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Well, I'd love to start by hearing more about you. So can you share just a little bit about your own background and how you ended up working in solar energy?
1: Yeah, it was an interesting transition into uh, my career in solar. Uh, About a little over a decade ago, um, I was fortunate enough to have an uncle who invited me to Vietnam for a solar project. And at the time, I had never really heard about solar or clean energy for that matter. Um, So I took the trip and I was there for a month and learned a lot about solar and clean energy. And when I came back to California, I went to Los Angeles Trade Technical College um, and studied photovoltaics, which is kind of the more technical term for solar electric, and that's how my career at GRID started. Um, so for me, it was a, a career transition. Before that, I was working um, within local, local communities, particularly the African-American community, uh, and I was working at Cal State Dominguez doing some um, dissemination to the community around um, policies that were coming down from the state level. Um, so that was interesting, but, you know, the thing about dealing with, with work at the policy levels, you don't get to see the implementation side. So, you know, with this work, I'm really able to um, see the policy being implemented, and it's it's kept me busy um, for well over a decade. So I'm, I'm loving the work.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, and I can imagine how satisfying it is to um, to build, right, to see things go on roofs and, uh, just feel the kind of physical impacts of the work that you're doing. So that's, that's great. So let's, let's talk about workforce development programs, which are, um, which is the department or the section of the organization that you actually run, is my understanding. Um, And before we talk about kind of the big picture of workforce development programs, I want to make sure I ground that conversation in the types of programs that GRID Alternatives is running. So can you just share a little bit about what you at GRID are actually doing in this space?
1: Yes. Well, you know, our our mission is really to build community power solutions to advance economic and environmental justice through renewable energy. And we really envision a rapid, equitable transition to a world powered by renewable energy um, that benefits everyone, but we realize that this vision can only be realized with a solar workforce that is inclusive of everybody um so how do we get there is really the question and I think over you know over the last decade again or you know a little bit over a decade, we've developed um several programs and initiatives um that really focus on connecting. Um, employers to a, a diverse um, group of job seekers. Um, and now we're also moving towards building out an existing subcontractor model um, that's evolving um, into a mission-aligned contractor network. So I think looking at it on two sides, one is training individuals from local communities, and then the other one is supporting the um, natural entrepreneurial spirit that also exists in these same communities that we serve. Um, But at the core of our workforce development programs, um, I would say we have two programs um, that really serve um, the communities in the most impactful way. One would be our Installation Basics Training Program, and it's really a competency-based certificate program that's designed to develop the skills that are really most relevant to entry-level solar installation jobs. Um, and related construction employment fields for that matter. So we see what we're doing in solar um, also as transferable skills. So, you know, learning to use power tools is something that you can, is applicable across the construction industry, right? Learning safety is something that is applicable across the industry. Um, But our our installation basics training program really focuses on individual certificates um, and industry-recognized skills And it provides trainees with really valuable hands-on training and access uh, to employment opportunities. So we really look at it in a holistic way, and it's not just the technical training, but it's also providing the wraparound supportive services, the soft skills, you know, addressing, you know, barriers to employment, such as financial literacy. Um, You know, we also serve particular target groups, and that includes opportunity youth. Um, justice involved, formerly incarcerated individuals, women, military veterans. So we want to make sure that we're looking at the individual and not just training them technically, but also addressing the needs and things that might have prevented them from either getting a job or moving towards a career um, in the past, you know. So that's our installation basics training program. Um, And we really deliver that in two ways Um, we have a ibt 200 program which is delivered internally in-house um in our brick and mortar locations which we have um eight six in california one in colorado and one in dc and then we have um, we do tribal work throughout the country as well Um, but our ibt 200 is the same core competency as our ibt 120. Um, but it's really designed to serve individuals in the local communities in which we exist, and then our Installation Basics 120 is a model that we've just recently we built out, and we're very excited about. Um, and I think we'll talk about it a little later. But in terms of how to prepare a workforce for the coming, um, you know, redevelopment of our our clean energy infrastructure, um, you know, how do how do we prepare for that? So we've built out a program that will allow us to work with partners across the country in which we don't have brick and mortar locations um, so that we can be part of growing out the needed workforce um, to meet the demands of building out the clean energy infrastructure and then our um, second program is our solar core fellowship program and it's really an opportunity for those that are really highly motivated and enthusiastic to join grid for an 11-month um, paid term of service to the community that also prepares them for renewable energy careers. And to date, we've had more than 300 people that have served as fellows in our Solar SolarCore program. And one thing I would say about SolarCore is it's really our most impactful job training program, if you will. Um, our, our placement rate is 90 to 95% annually of the individuals that go through our Solar SolarCore program. So, between our installation basics training program and our solar core fellowship program, um, we see a lot of success and impact in terms of moving individuals from the training space into job and green career opportunities in solar and related industries
0: hmm, that's fantastic and it's it sounds like that's it's quite a mix of offerings right it's Different pieces of the puzzle coming together, um, sort of tailored for different communities. It sounds like some of those pieces sort of meet different communities' needs in different ways. And But I'm, I'm guessing that that slate of programs has really grown and evolved over time. I'm guessing this wasn't, you know, you said, for example, that some of the pieces are fairly new. And so maybe you can just say a little bit more about the evolution of and, and how you landed on this particular portfolio of approaches. I guess maybe I'm asking you to air a little bit of the uh, the internal conversation about, well, this didn't work or this didn't work. but um, But yeah, how did you end up here with this combination of things?
1: Yeah, kind of uh, behind the curtains, right? Um, A little bit,
0: if you're willing, yeah.
1: (laughs) No, no, definitely. And I've been very fortunate to be with the organization since 2010, um, kind of dating myself. So I've really seen and been a part of the evolution itself um, in terms of what worked and what didn't. And uh, when we started, we, we were really more of a volunteer program, um, kind of think about a Habitat for Humanity model, right, where people would just come out and volunteer with us. Um, but, you know, around 2010, 2011, as a result of some initiatives and some funding um, that came down from the Greenhouse Gas Reductions Fund, um, more, more specifically the California Solar Initiative, which was launched in 2006, it really... I think spurred the industry growth here in California, especially in the residential sector.
0: So you had a lot of
1: solar companies just popping up, you know? Um, and I think at that time, where you, um, where a solar company would recruit um, potential candidates would be something as simple as Craigslist, right? They just needed people. Um, so we did not have really a, a industry-specific, trained, competent workforce, if you will, right? Um, but we had also training programs and vocational programs popping up at the same time. So people were in the classroom beginning to learn the theory of solar. And what was missing was actually the hands-on application. And at the time, Grid Alternatives was the only organization where you could come to for free, you know, um, at, at, at kind of this basic level of understanding and get on the roof and install solar. So we had more and more individuals that began to come to GRID Alternatives to get that experience. And we did not have a a formal job training program at that time, but we certainly began to feel the need to create one. And that was kind of the beginning of the evolution of what we have today, which is our installation basics training program. Um, So after the evolution of the volunteer program, it kind of became this team leader program where we had you know, volunteers that have been with us for three to six months um, would step into a team leader role and they would support, you know, our solar installation supervisors, um, which are, you know, in the for-profit world would kind of be the lead installers on a residential job. Um, and by 2019, we we launched our, you know, formally launched our installation basics training program, and we built in a stipended, you know, paid training model. So it was really earn while you learn because, you know, the individuals that were coming to us were, you know, traditionally under or unemployed, right? And for them to give up their time, um, it was not always ideal for them. So if we could figure out a way um, to supplement you know, some of their time in a way that they could at least take care of a couple of bills, right, um, and be encouraged to to successfully complete the program, uh, we would believe that we would have a better chance of moving individuals into career opportunities after the training. Um, so really today our programs are tied to outcomes that have tangible and measured impacts on the communities that we serve. And really the the most important metrics are program completion, And attaining employment that pays family sustaining wages, um, as well as that leads to careers in clean energy and related industries. So I think for us, the last thing that we want to do is go into local communities, um, you know, and train people, um, but not in a way where it really leads to um, employment and career opportunities afterwards, because that's not true impact for us.
0: This is super interesting. And I think that that's such a good kind of stage setting for the broader question about what works and what doesn't in solar workforce development. Um, and I I've, even listening to your previous answer, you know, you mentioned connection to jobs. You mentioned um, providing financial incentives to sort of in economic terms, pay the opportunity cost of doing this particular training versus, you know, having another job, um, connections to employers. uh yeah, just lots of different things that have really been part of your evolution and that have led to the kind of impact that you're looking for. So I just threw out what I heard, but I'd love to hear from you. What? How would you summarize some of those kind of critical lessons um, that you've learned about how to design these programs to really be meaningful and sustainable?
1: Yes, yeah, great question. I think you really have to start um, from a community centric approach. You know, like what works for who? Um, who is it you're trying to serve, right? Um, and then once you figure out who it is you're trying to serve, you you really want to have the ear um, of the community. You want to you want to speak to the community and listen to them and see what is it the community is asking for. I don't I don't think we are, should sit outside of local communities and make decisions for those communities that are gonna. You know, impact them one way or the other. You know, um, it's it's very important that you really get on the ground, um, you know, and you you engage the community. So it has to be a boots on the ground approach. Uh, you can't create solutions um, that they didn't ask for, right? Um, so I, I think you start one by really, you know, having those community relationships, and you, you really can't build an equitable inclusive and diverse um, workforce development program if you don't have that so i would start there um you know and then i think just thinking about the massive investment in clean energy and then you know how it's it's really a once in a lifetime thing i think at this point you know at at least in clean energy i think we've seen it in in other technologies like when the internet came online you know um, and, and some other opportunities but You know, I think just the amount of jobs that it's going to generate, you know, um, how it can't just be something that addresses environmental justice. Um, You know, I think there's also a socioeconomic um, justice component um, that should not be overlooked. Right. And I think we have we have the opportunity to address a number of different um, problems at once. So, yeah, I, I think, you know when you think about how to design, you have to have like a community centric approach. And then you also have to think about like, what are the outcomes? And the outcomes have to be tangible. They have to be impactful. So you can't just say you wanna do a workforce development program just to train people. If you're not thinking about what's on the other end, does it lead to employment? Does it lead to family sustaining wages? Um, What do those wages look like? You know, One thing that's important for us is really also, advocating you know to to the employers on the employment side and being active in that space, you know, because we can have the conversations about diversity, have the conversations about equity and inclusion, um, but it can be lip service a lot of times, right and it can it can look good on paper or look good on the website or whatever the case. Um, but when a lot of the you know individuals from the diverse communities that we're training go to these companies, the companies are not prepared. Um, you know, for the diversity, you know? So we've done a lot of work in-house, um, you know, at Grid Alternatives, and it's really in line with our, with our, you know, strategic plans, strategic thinking, um, and our own, like, equity, inclusion, and diversity work, right? We've, we've looked at our organization and seen how we're diverse and how we're not diverse and, and what do we need to do, and that's, you know, that includes um, gender, you know, it includes... Um, Race, it includes culture, right? Um, But how do you make sure that your company is ready to receive a diverse workforce? Because the only way that we can reach our our climate goals is if we include everybody. So there's a lot of work that has to be done, you know, if if we're going to have a successful workforce um, and the ecosystem from the workforce training programs to employment. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really curious about your view on whether you feel like these lessons are unique to the solar industry, or how many of them which ones might translate to something that is perhaps a little bit, uh, esoteric's not the right word, but a little bit more sort of out of sight, out of mind, like, for example, offshore wind or maybe something even more emerging like hydrogen production and use, you know, these things that aren't quite as sort of visible in communities or um, might operate on a different scale. Any thoughts on on what's unique to the solar industry versus what has kind of broader applicability?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that um, it really depends on on the technology and where it lives I think solar is a much more decentralized technology. Uh, So because it can really be deployed in a very localized way, um, there's an opportunity to make it accessible to everyone, right? Whereas something like maybe offshore wind is much more geographically specific, right? Um, Or or like you said, it's in isolated areas. So it's not as accessible. Um, So I think conceptually in terms of how you prepare people and how you build the workforce um you know yes um it could translate but in terms of the actual implementation and how you move people into those jobs i think the strategies have to be different um even if you're dealing with you know onshore wind right um here in california a lot of the wind farms are you know out in the country right you have to go um really up north or you have to go to the, the middle of the state but you're not going to find those jobs and you know, right here in Los Angeles or in Oakland, right? But you will find a bunch of rooftops that you can put solar on. Um, So you really have to understand kind of like the geographic application of the technologies, Um, you know. But either way, I think you can still prepare individuals from diverse communities uh, for opportunities in these emerging clean energy technologies. But the, the, the part of how you connect them to, the jobs or the employment, you know, the, the career opportunities, the strategy there is going to be different. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that connection to employers the sort of connecting job seekers to employers is, is really central to what you do at grid alternatives. Uh, maybe this is sort of asking you to state the obvious, but I'd, I'd love to just dive into that a little bit more deeply and, Ask if you can articulate, you know, why that's such an important piece of the puzzle for you. And and I'll say too, I'm really curious about whether that's something that's been undervalued over the years, or is that you know is that a pretty standard part of workforce development programs in your in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think undervalued it, it might it might have been, um, but I also think it's been siloed, right? Um, So you kind of have your your training programs on the vocational side, the community colleges and the local community-based organizations, um, you know, and then you kind of have your private sector employers, you know, in another corner, um, and then you kind of have the workforce, the local and state workforce development systems, you know, and they're not always working um, in concert, if you will, you know, so I think it's really like, how do you all work in concert, um you know to to create a holistic um workforce development system that specifically applies to the clean energy industry i think other industries have been able to do that because they are more conventional they've been around for a long time right so when you look at maybe you know the construction uh, general construction industry right or you look at specific trades like carpentry or electrical or whatever the case you know Um, they are tied into the to to the workforce system already Um, but for a newer technology that we're just building out you know our our, um, workforce development programs there's still a disconnect um, between those three that I just mentioned from employment to the workforce system to the people who are providing the training right so yes I I think that it has maybe not been undervalued but Yes, I would say overlooked might be the right word in terms of um, connecting the the different parts that make for a successful workforce development ecosystem.
0: Hmm, That's really interesting. And so at the risk of putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like, you know, that's something that, am I interpreting correctly, that GRID has has taken on some of that um, role within just one single organization within your organization? Or does that happen via partnerships or both?
1: Yeah, I I, I preach partnerships. I believe in partnerships. You know, you, you you can't do it all by yourself, right? You really have to um, have partnerships in place because um, we're all limited in capacity and not just staff capacity, but actual structural capacity even, right? We Our sweet spot is really... Um, providing training to the individuals that we work with, reaching deep into communities, um, you know, and, and you know, then being the connector, right? What we can't do is maybe provide mental health services, right, or legal services or, you know, financial literacy. So we'll go and find partners to, you know, bring those services into the individuals we're training, Right. And we are an employer, but we we also are limited in how many people we can we can hire a year. Right. So we have to have multiple off ramps. And that includes, you know, the the labor unions. You know, it includes private sector employers, mom and pop shops, the small mom and pop shops all the way up to the large, you know, um, sun runs and sun powers of the world. Right. Um, So, yeah, partnerships, I think. Are one of the keys to success right and it's definitely one of the keys to thinking about how do we really prepare a clean energy workforce system at scale um in in, in an efficient way and soon right because the demand is the demand is now right so there's no one organization that's going to be able to train thousands and thousands of workers a year it's going to take partnerships so We look at ourselves as a connective tissue, if you will, and complementary, complementary, not competitive to our partners.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think we've sort of both hinted at the idea that, um, well, and and I think you said it really well, you know, this really has the potential to be sort of a once in a generation, maybe opportunity to expand the number of folks who are working in clean energy, uh, given, you know, US Department of Energy requirements related to workforce development, community benefits, all of those things are, are sort of built into the fabric of accessing funds from these bills that have passed the Inflation Reduction Act, the bipartisan infrastructure law. If you want to get those resources, there are requirements that you need to invest in workforce development. So, you know, it it looks like we might be in for kind of a boom in the number of these programs. And that's one of the reasons I I really wanted to talk to you. And also, I, I guess I want to pick your brain about kind of, if there are going to be more of these programs that get up and running, what what tools are available to those folks who are just starting out, who are just building these programs? Um, what tools are available to them as they stand these programs up, and how can they how can they learn from past experience from a place like Grid to kind of uh, do it right moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think um, the tools that are available are really found in a lot of the partnerships. Um, you know so i think really getting out and speaking to those organizations that have been doing the work you know for the last 10 years um that includes you know the community based organizations um the organizations that are very you know trade specific um organizations such as sea which is the solar energy uh, industry association um as well as um irec which is the interstate renewable energy council you know, these kind of organizations have a wealth of resources, um, including things like the solar career map. Every year, IREC produces uh, a solar job census that lets you look at all 50 states and really understand both the big picture and, you know, the micro picture um, in terms of what what the job outlet looks like, you know, where we are in terms of the job market now. You can look at it state by state so you can understand where the growth is going to be. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of um information that you can find throughout the workforce development system just in terms of how to build workforce development programs i would you know recommend that people attend trade shows and have conversations so that you can understand um the industry and then i you know when i was first getting into the industry one thing i did was really um subscribe to all the trade magazines um, that I could find, right? And just really read up on what is the solar industry, you know, um, what's the difference between residential and commercial? And then I think when you look at it from a workforce development perspective, it's like, you know, who is it that you're serving again? And you know, where are the jobs for those individuals? That's something that a lot of people miss. Um, you know, so I think understanding the different nuances, Um, you know, when you're building out your program is very important. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of, I won't say a lot, but there's a good number of organizations that have been doing the work Um, and connecting with them will probably be your biggest tool and your biggest resource. And organizations like GRID Alternatives, again, we look at ourselves as complementary to our partners. Um, So it's like, how can we work together to impact local communities and really create, um, create a, a clean energy workforce that's representative uh, of everyone. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right, I've got, I think I have time for one last substantive question for you. You mentioned the importance of sort of metrics of success. I'm not sure if that was the phrase you used, but that's how I interpreted it, of sort of you guys are keen to make sure that what you're doing is working and you're sort of looking for opportunities to measure that and, and making sure that you're meeting your own benchmarks. So what kind of information should people who are building these programs now, what kind of information should they be collecting? Um, should they be you know, tracking in order to really successfully evaluate new programs moving forward? Any experience that you can share on that piece?
1: Yeah, in terms of um, metrics, you know, some of the things that we think about are really the number of participants entering our program um you know the number of individuals completing our program and then the number of individuals that we're moving into employment opportunities I think those those are the three key metrics and then I think also looking at you know where are the individuals coming from you know where are the, where are the communities you know what is what is kind of the what does it look like geographically what communities are you reaching into you know is is it, representative of the individuals you're trying to you're trying to serve right and is it going to help diversify you know the industry um you know so th- those are kind of important on that side and then i would also look at maybe some of the socioeconomics, um you know and there's people who, who kind of specialize in that stuff and do all the like gis mapping you know um to figure these things out uh, but then there's also kind of the, the, the side of looking at the, um, you know, the wraparound supportive services, right? And seeing how many of the individuals you were serving needed, you know, the financial literacy, um, needed the access to health care or, um, you know, mental health services or whatever the case, substance abuse, um, you know, so that you can see where you need to um build capacity and whether that's you know human capacity or financial capacity um by you know capturing the metrics you'll understand that um and then you'll equally understand whether you're running an impactful program.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that's fantastic and I think that just really speaks to your point about it's really going to take everyone it is going to take a diverse workforce uh to sort of make this happen on the scale and the time frame that that is sort of called for at the moment and so um looking hard at at how to get the most people involved by providing them the the sort of comprehensive set of services is is a really good flag so i'm definitely going to give that some thought so Well, this has been great. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me today. Um, And I definitely encourage folks to check out um, Good Alternatives and some of the references that you mentioned. And I also want to give you a chance to close, as we usually do, as we always do, with um, our top of the stack, where you're welcome to make a recommendation for um, any other good content you think our, our listeners might be interested in. It can be on this topic. It can be on really anything of interest. So Adewale, what's on the top of your stack?
1: Um, I will keep it consistent. Right now, um, I'm reading a report by IREC, and really it's an alliance reports between IREC or the Interstate Renewable Energy Council and the National Council for Workforce Education, and it's called Cultivating a Diverse and Skilled Talent Pipeline for the Equitable Transition. Um, so it's a really helpful piece um, in understanding the current landscape and seeing, like, what the needs are. Um, And then the other piece I would recommend is uh, Annual National Solar Job Census that's produced by IREC. Um, And the last report that was done was in 2021. It was done in 2022, but it was for 2021. So the 2022 report should be coming out sometime around June or July. Um, But it's a really good read if you're trying to figure out, you know, where the needs are. Um, for the workforce.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you again. It's been great to talk with you and look forward to to hearing more about your efforts moving forward.
1: Thank you, Kristen. It's been a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.